0: So basically, find out what you got, that's step one. And then (laughs) at least you can do something with it. But if you don't know what you've got, you ain't going to get anywhere.
1: It's the e-commerce master plan podcast, here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you for hitting play and choosing to listen to one of our inspiring guests. Before we get into the interview, I just want to say a massive thank you to Oliver Spark from Sweet Analytics for the introduction to this awesome guest. Thank you, Oliver. Now, in this episode, we're talking about circular fashion. We're going to be Looking at some of the most difficult elements of circular fashion, so if you are currently dealing with overstocks or waste product you need to do something with, or if you're seeing there's a big opportunity there for you to create new products and get involved with the circular economy, then you're going to love this one. We are talking about should you incinerate, how do you reuse the fabric, how can you reuse fabric and clothing that's too protected by intellectual property to normally be reused, we go quite deep in the manufacturing side of things, prepare to be inspired basically because my guest I think is very inspiring, she's going to really get us all thinking. Also short way in, there's a bit of a siren in the background, so if you're driving along right now, you're walking down the street and you think you're hearing a police siren, it may well be in this podcast. Apologies for that. I know we normally try and keep them out, but she was saying some really good stuff just as it went by, so didn't have the heart to stop her and make her redo it. So apologies for the siren. It's in about the first half of the interview. Not at the whole of the first half, obviously, just part of it. Anyway, enough of my waffling on about sirens. Please listen to the end of the episode so you don't miss out on my guest's top tips and my own take on this episode. And now to introduce our special guest, Christina Dean is the founder and CEO at The R Collective, an upcycled fashion brand and social impact business that rescues luxury brands' excess materials and collaborates with award-winning sustainable designers to create circular fashion. Founded in 2017, they are selling via their Shopify store and wholesale and have rescued Two hundred and thirty eight thousand yards of fabric and eight thousand one hundred square feet of leather. Um Hello, Christina. Well, hello
0: there, Chloe, How are you?
1: I am just trying to visualize in my mind that quantity of
0: fabric. It's mad. It is enormous. I mean, I, I'd like to say I knew from London to X how far two hundred and thirty eight thousand yards would be. That's a little calculation we need to do. It's a hell of a lot of fabric, and I hate to tell you, it's absolutely nothing. Compared with how much fabric uh, waste there is available, so it's really hashtag a beep in the ocean in terms of total waste that's out there.
1: Yeah, it, that's kind of the depressing side of it, isn't it. It's like brilliant, we've used all of this, but it's such a
0: small percentage. It's pathetic, actually. Let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, it sounds a lot, as I say, but it's sort of disappointingly small with the amount of work that we put in. And it's still huge, but it's as you know, as we've said, such a small amount in its totality, really.
1: But as we as we know, one person's wasted another person's fortune. So it, if for many people it's they are going, really, there's that much just lying around? Um, essentially, yeah. Uh, so, so opportunity for someone. But before we go off on that tangent, Christina, how did you end up in the world of e-commerce? Because it, it, I'm
0: guessing it wasn't part of the original plan. It absolutely wasn't. I mean, I have to laugh at the question really, because my journey to e-com started out in people's mouths because I'm actually a qualified dentist. And so who on earth would have thought I would have moved from being a dentist into running an e-com business. But essentially the route from the mouth was, via being a journalist. I wrote about environmental issues and environmental pollution, particularly in China, where I lived in Hong Kong for 12 years. And so I wrote a lot about environmental pollution, about the textile industry, about health. And I was extremely concerned and pretty angry at the state of the textile industry, but knew nothing about it. And uh, as a journalist, I've got such a gritty, gritty, irritating personality that when I get onto something, I just kind of keep keep at it. But basically, I kept researching it—the issue of sustainability in the fashion industry—and found back in two thousand and five, six that very little was being done to address this huge issue and so i started a non-profit called redress in 2007 and that works to promote circularity in the fashion industry and so really to answer your question well i got into sustainable fashion through a belly load of curiosity and concern about what the reality of the fashion industry is but the question was how did i get into ecom well, that took me some time. I suppose I started a nonprofit working in sustainable fashion and circularity. Um, and after 14 years of doing that, I launched a business called The R Collective, which is a social impact business that rescues textile waste and creates products that have sold D2C online, and therefore, hey presto, I got into e
1: I love the fact you went from dentist to journalist to angry person <laughs> to founder of charity. And then I'm going to take a rough punt that the reason why you founded the R Collective is because you didn't think things were moving fast enough and you
0: thought you'd try and do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good punt to take. It's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, it sounds really arrogant to say, oh, you know, it's not happening. I'm going to do it myself. I've never actually had that attitude. But actually, in action, that's basically what we've always done. But the reason that I started the business was not like, poo-poo, everyone else, you can't do it, so ha, 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 I'm going to do it. The reason that I started it was because in reality, smacking me in the face every single day at the non-profit side was the reality of global fashion businesses from super uber luxury to super uber fast the amount of textile excess that they had and i i can't speak for every business in the whole wide world but basically these businesses were coming to redress as a non-profit saying you know would you like this glorious donation of you know x amount of yards of unwanted materials because those businesses were basically trying to do the right thing. So let's give them some good credit, but also just trying to offload their excess. And so I saw this all the time and it made me realize this is a problem and it's an opportunity. And a charity cannot deal with the amount of excess materials that the fashion industry has. And so I started the business in order to collaborate with businesses on their excess materials. You know, coming to that angry belly thing that I said, you know, I funnily enough the older i get the less angry i get i used to be an angry activist because i was probably just a bit of a dimwit you know i i I thought the solutions were simple and then the more i have been involved in sustainable fashion circularity working with big businesses working with government really cross-sector the more mature i've got the more i realize that the only way to get things done, the beep done, is to work together. So I don't really have an angry bone left in my body actually today. I, I've I've learned so much on the job that anger doesn't really have a place in driving solutions today.
1: I think it's one of the interesting things about the sustainability movement in particular is that the number of people working within it that are on the angry side is a tiny percentage compared to those who are on the positive side. Like I've always found the e-commerce industry to be a very positive place filled with positive people. But actually when you get into the sustainability side of things people are even more helpful and more friendly and I think often people assume we're all really angry and it's it's not that it's a very collaborative space isn't it
0: it's more collaborative today than it was 17 years ago when I started because everybody's basically woken up to the fact that we are tiny little cogs in an impossibly big giant Machine that is the circular fashion industry, and we're literally nothing without all the other cogs. So, I feel like that's really helped to create an even sort of playing field. And also, what I've seen more recently is the eradication of ego. It's been very interesting. I've watched this. I think that the whole sustainability world, the movement, it doesn't have space for big egos. This is about shoulder to shoulder, let's get stuff done together. And that's really welcomed.
1: That is not a way I've ever thought to phrase it. But now you say it, it totally fits in with my view of the space as well. So yeah, really liking that angle. Let's talk a little bit more about the R Collective and what it is you're doing and what it is you're selling. So where in the world is the business based and where do you sell to? So
0: the business is registered and sort of as a legal entity in hong kong and the uk and our sort of offices in hong kong we rescue materials in multiple regions it makes us sound much bigger than we are but we basically have waste rescue missions in and operations in hong kong china thailand vietnam italy and the uk and so we take in materials in those markets and then we produce in those same markets and then we sell from those markets. Two, our sort of direct to consumer audience and customers are based in the US, UK, Hong Kong and Australia.
1: Got you. So the, the manufacturing and fulfilment process happens in the place you rescued the fabric. So the, the mileage, I suppose, is quite short until it goes to the consumer who might be overseas.
0: It's intended that that would be the way, but unfortunately, we are the most complicated um, sourcing business for the scale of our business because we rescue waste. And I would bore you to death if I tried to explain this, but well, it's not quite simple, really. We take in waste materials, excess materials, and usually we cannot cross a border with them but sometimes we have to cross a border with them and so we cannot uh, so we're very restricted about where these materials can and cannot or must or must not be moved so that is like uh, an issue with our partnership with the brand that they tell us it has to change a country or or it must not and then of course there's a cost consideration so sorry it's not a simple answer
1: no no that's that's fair enough and i think i i was going to get into some other things but let's get into the rescue side of things, because one of the things that strikes me is really interesting about what you've done with the R Collective is you could have started off just using another piece of discarded, you know, leftover fabric and turning it into, you know, basic t-shirts or something. But what you've gone for is luxury brands, excess stock which is a whole other world of complexity. You were just saying about the the geographical side of it, but sometimes you almost have to remake the fabric as well. Tell us a bit about the complexity of that space and then why you've gone for that space.
0: Well, okay, so number one, we are an impact business, so we like Tricky. If it's easy, we're not interested because other people can go and do that. I know that sounds arrogant and I don't have an ego, so please don't hit me on the head for that, but that's what we get excited by. The materials that we rescue, what the hell does rescue mean? We take in materials that other businesses don't want. We don't buy a penny. We never spend money on buying materials. We strictly don't do that because if there is a pre-existing market for materials, then we say, fantastic, go and flog them. We're not interested. We want stuff that has no commercial value to its current owner because that is our only definition of waste. That it has no use in its current form by its current own owner and has no commercial value. So we do not buy materials and we don't buy excess dead stock from jobbers. Like I'm so strict about that because, I mean, this is not to poo-poo other upcycled fashion brands.
1: I was going to say that, that's the thing though, isn't it? You've got to have your own definitions and it's totally fine to have your own definitions. The person who's buying it, you know, the, the dead stock off the the jobbing salesman is, is equally valid if that's part of their business plan. But for you, there's a very different you've got a very set definition of what you will and won't.
0: Yeah, we won't disrupt the job market and we will not buy fabrics because there's many other businesses that do that. And to us, we want to reduce waste. So, again, you know, we're hell bent on on holding to that, even as we scale. um, That's really important to us because, again, we like complexity. We like trickiness. So that answers one major part of how we rescue material. So we think we live at the end of the linear economy when businesses really don't want stuff. Let me just tell you that the biggest amount of fabric that we were offered, and this was before I started the business, so this is whilst I was at the non-profit, was 1 million yards. Whoa. Right. So we're not talking like, here's a little scrap. We're talking at times, enormous amounts. I mean, that was unheard of. That was the first thing that made me realize, okay, hang on a sec. This is a problem. But to come back to your question about rescue. So I've explained that we don't buy materials and that we believe truly that we're rescuing actual waste. And we believe that we're at the end of the linear economy. So we feel really good about those 238,000 yards that we've taken in. It didn't have a home. It didn't have a place. It it was going to fall into landfill incineration, et cetera. So what we then do is we take in these materials with our partners, so again, I said I don't have an angry bone in my body. We work with big luxury groups, premium luxury, etc. We're super collaborative. We want this to be win-win with them. You know, this has to work for everybody. And so, the easy materials to use are what we would call non-IP materials. So these would be rolls of black, blue, purple, whatever. No distinctive marks, prints, logos, checks, blah blah blah. So that's relatively easy peasy, although in reality, that is still ball breaking, if I may say so. But the real ball breaking stuff is the stuff that we love, which is we handle IP sensitive materials for some luxury brands, quite big luxury brands. And we, by IP, I'm talking kind of obviously what it means is prints, logos, checks, distinctive marks, like you see a roll of it and you know whose it is. So we work in partnership with a small number of those businesses to actually recycle those materials. So we basically have recyclers who then chop it down, chop, 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 down, 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 all distinctive marks and sort of brand protection is obliterated basically because you bring everything back down to fiber level. And then we will spin and weave and make product out of the new recycled material, which has no identity in it, any left. So we do that with fabric and we also do that with garment, Very, we're going beyond pilot, we're going into bulk in China. And so what we're doing is we're working with um, a small number of businesses on their excess unsold inventory. So they're overstock basically. Now, obviously, these are highly IP sensitive, because they're a garment form, they've got labels, they've got branding, they're garments, <laughs> you know, like There's no denying where they came from. They cannot be incinerated, although, of course, we all know incineration is rife, but there are many brands and businesses who won't incinerate anymore. And so it is an absolute... Oh, I wanted to, I don't know what word to use. It's incredibly pricey and difficult for these big businesses to actually recycle instead of incinerate their excess stock. And it's a massive problem for the industry, particularly as we see that more and more stakeholders are saying no incineration. We don't want to see it. It's super risky for luxury brands, as it is for fast fashion brands, actually. There's a tremendous problem, which is that warehouses around the world are absolutely choked with unsold stock. It costs a lot to deal with it, and it's not easy.
1: I, I find it amazing that people are doing what you're doing and are going to these lengths to improve things. I think it's absolutely brilliant. The question that comes to mind is, when you're ripping the material down to fibres and rebuilding it again, is that worth it? You know, if, if the, the t-shirt is too, or the, you know, the, the jacket is too branded and it's an overstock and it needs to be repurposed, is it worth ripping it apart and turning it back
0: into something else? It is. I mean, we've done some life cycle analysis on some of our supply chains um, to prove X percentage of savings of A, B, C and D, fabulous like carbon water, etc. So we've done some on some supply chains. We haven't done it on finished garment, but I can tell you, and I would love anyone to argue with me, but of every piece of research that I've kind of looked at in terms of recycling gains, it is environmentally always i'm going to really put my hand up there always the right thing to recycle instead of incinerate now of course in the recycling process you have to use energy obviously but the saving of those fibers for reuse is still a net gain in terms of carbon and water than incinerating and going out and growing more cotton for example extracting more oil for polyester I'd like to bet you one of my kids i mean i I'd probably get in trouble if I'm wrong, but i'm pretty right <laughs> please, please prove me if I'm wrong because the thing is that this takes us down a a rabbit warren of conversation about measuring impact because the fashion industry obviously carbon is sort of political it's global it's everyone's got to reduce it, everyone's got to measure it everyone's got targets you know we're we're going down the pan fast but unfortunately people can't really even measuring carbon is incredibly difficult so why i say that is that doing full life cycle analyses on every single supply chain that we do is prohibitively expensive absolutely impossible and so i'm going to answer your question by putting one of my kids on the line which is that recycling is better than incineration
1: excellent (laughs) no i think it's really good to hear your perspective on that, because I suspect there's a lot of people thinking, oh, we could do this, we could do that. But they're thinking, oh, actually, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? And I think we we tend to underestimate the resources that go into creating a yard of cotton or a yard of silk or a yard of whatever else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I would say, is it worth it? The problem is it's going to cost you. And the problem is that so much in the product development, and again, I'm no expert on like how every business runs, but you know, we do product development costings, but end of life management, excess stock management, it's not on many people's line sheets. So who's paying for it within the business? It's cheaper just to whack it in a warehouse. And like, basically, it's the equivalent of just brushing under the carpet, all this excess stock. It's just a really inconvenient part of running a business. And so impact wise, from an environmental perspective, I know I'm right. And the cost of it is really annoying for businesses and unfortunately it's going to bite a lot of people in the butt because it's coming because incineration is more frowned upon for obvious reasons like state, you know you just look at the risk of being caught for incinerating it's just I mean it's pretty foul to put products in incinerators and of course it happens rampantly around the world still because it is so damn cheap. To just light them, I mean, I can see, and of course, people say waste to energy. Yes, of course, you put them in decent incinerators, you capture the energy. I'm no expert on the waste to energy data. Of course, we all know that it's positive to take that energy and put that into, you know, energy generation, etc. So, I'm not poo-pooing incineration, full stop. But I'm saying that there is undeniably a push towards reducing stock, reducing incineration. And that's actually evidenced by France, who, as many people know, within the fashion industry has banned the incineration of recyclable goods by big, big businesses, not really small small businesses at this moment. So, you know, if we're all alive in 100 years, which most of us won't be, there will be many more bans on incineration and that we would have to be much more responsible in terms of dealing with excess materials that businesses will continue to routinely create.
1: Uh, You're giving us so much to think about, but also answering so many questions as well, Christina. So um, thank you for all of this. Before we move on and head into the top tips round, if someone's listening to this and they're going, right, this is it, finally, I'm gonna take those steps and I'm gonna bring circularity into my business or create a business that focuses on turning waste into a useful product how do they start? Is there, you know, there are some key things they need to know to make a success of it. What would your advice be to them?
0: Well, I think my top tip to getting started is going to be getting in control with your inventory. So I cannot tell you how many phone calls I've had with businesses. um, Let's just say the sustainability team who rightfully want to do more sustainable X, Y, and Z. And then they go and try and find out from their suppliers or from like the inventory what is our stock? How much have we got? Where is it? And that step from asking a question, how much have we got, depends on the business, obviously, to discovering the answer sometimes pay, takes companies like a year. And then they, I'm talking big businesses, you know, they might look at their main suppliers and they discover that they've got no clue where their stuff is and how much they've got. And then even when they inquire, it's not actually what they thought it was. It's not in that factory. It's somewhere else. They're dealing with Excel spreadsheets. And the data collection on excess stock is very, 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 very difficult. It's so prohibitive that some companies just give up. So basically, find out what you got. That's step one. And then <laughs> at least you can do something with it. But if you don't know what you've got, you ain't going to get anywhere
1: e-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector here's a reminder of who they are it's time for the top tips round Okay. I love this section because it gives me and honest some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. Christina, are you ready for the top tips?
0: I'm ready. I'm in the hot seat far away.
1: <laughs> cool. Uh, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend?
0: I would actually just recommend reading a juicy novel, Um, not even juicy, something that's created that stimulates your mind, because I think so much of our business today requires creativity and imagination. And so I wouldn't necessarily advise a top tip to business management. I would say, dive into a book that makes you feel excited about the world.
1: Nice bit of escapism and brain food. I like it. Yeah. The traffic top tip: Which marketing method do you either prize above all others, or think doesn't get the press it deserves?
0: Well, I think the answer is in the question. I would say press. Actually, I mean, I for me, working with media is a major kind of as is a major stakeholder. So I would say trying to be involved with press and trying to be brave enough to say what you think in a press world. I don't actually know if that gives you ROI in terms of sales but I think that it's important to use the media as a mouthpiece for your business and values.
1: Such an underutilized channel so many many people do it badly but when you do press well it's game-changing isn't
0: it? I don't know. I, I don't know if I do it well personally or do it wrong, but I actually think it takes a little bit of bravery to sometimes say what you think and just say it. Agreed. Okay. The tool
1: top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plug-in, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day?
0: Definite answer, more meetings, more meetings, more meetings, more meetings. Really? Face-to-face or Zoom? Zoom is fine, but I am allergic to emails where you have to read them and understand what are they trying to say? Is that what they mean? And a waste of time. I'm absolutely get on the call, thrash it out, done. I think we've had that before, but not in a long time.
1: I don't think we've had that that answer post pandemic. So maybe we're, maybe that's a sign we're reaching, we're going back to normality again in our working practices. (laughs) Really cool, thank you for that one. Uh, The carbon top tip, what's your favorite way to reduce the carbon footprint of an e-commerce business?
0: Well, actually, I mean, there are two things. One is following from that. I mean, less emails. I know that doesn't help with an econ business per se, but one email is about the carbon footprint of a plastic bag. So less emails. Amazing. Um, And secondly, a very obvious answer, which is carbon neutral shipping, which is what we we use
1: Excellent. I love that email one. I am. I think I'm about to go on a slightly belligerent war on email attachments.
0: That's that stat I just gave you, yeah, that's without an attachment is about the equivalent of a plastic bag. So go on, what's your problem with attachments?
1: Well, like if someone is sending me a PDF, which maybe they're sending out to eight or nine other people, if they email that PDF as an attachment, it's going to sit in all our email files in the cloud Causing storage issues when they could have sent a link to it somewhere, and those people who were actually going to bother reading it could then download it. And you know, if you think of those those strings of emails where everyone's getting CC'd and someone's sending around high res graphics, it's like this is not a good way to do it. People, we should be sending the link, not sending the thing.
0: Thank you. I absolutely hate anything more than two megabytes. It drives me mad. I mean, this is the nerd in both of us. We need to be quiet now because we're revealing our inner selves here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're, we're about to go off on a tangent about email attachments. So... I will stop there, but I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I'm liking the fact you brought email into the mix, Christina. Before we do say goodbye, though, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media?
0: You can find The R Collective at the thercollective.com and I'm Christina Dean on LinkedIn. I think I'm quite easy to find. And Redress is redress.com.hk for Hong Kong.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Christina. It's been lovely chatting with you. I have learned a lot. I suspect the audience have too, both about what's possible and how hard it is, I think, (laughs) as well. But it's the starting point, isn't it? So thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, email attachments annoying. Stop sending me email attachments, everybody. Uh, Send me the link instead. Right, enough of my rant about email attachments. Fascinating chat there with Christina. And I think for me, one of the biggest things to take away from this is there is so much waste material out there, not just in the fashion space, across our industries. There are so much waste that is just just screaming out for someone to do something with it which kind of i mean you know in a positive way it reduces the cost of your raw materials but it also then brings that circularity in and it helps with you know reducing use of water reducing use of carbon and so forth and there's obviously the easy way of just getting non non ip non intellectual property branded fabrics and just simply creating something from them but there are ways to do it, even with clothing that needs to be taken apart and put back together or fabric that needs to be reconditioned. So much opportunity in that space and loads of interesting insight there from Christina. And I did also love the fact they, they as a business, the R Collective know, they've set out their stall. They are looking at only waste, stuff for which nobody else wants it anymore. Hence why they will not pay for it, because it has to be something that there's no longer a market for. They are also really key on who they're working for and they're looking for the difficult problems. They don't want that you a hundred yards of Jersey fabric in grey marl, which anybody could turn into something. They want the difficult stuff. And I think that's sort of this really interesting take on business. You can get your hands on the notes from this episode, including the top tips and links to what we've mentioned by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, or you can use our direct episode short links. They are ecmp.info, short for ecommercemasterplan.info forward slash whatever the number of this episode is. Is And that will take you straight to the correct page on the website. When you get to the website, please do add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business, like our new series of panel webinars tackling some of the most challenging problems in e-commerce. If you liked this episode and you want more juicy inspiration for turning waste into new products... Then make sure you check out episode 392. That's 392, where I'm chatting with Cressy Welsing, who's the co founder of Elvis and Cressy, which is all about repurposing very different forms of waste from fashion into products and it really does build on everything we've been talking about in this episode. You can also, if you want to go deeper into fashion, you can find all our fashion episodes on the website at ecmp.info forward slash fashion. Thank you for tuning into this and every episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I bring you a new interview every week because I want to inspire and help e-commerce business owners to succeed and thrive with your businesses, including progressing along the path to net zero. So if you know someone this show can help, please tell them to listen to the e-commerce master plan podcast. I hope you have a brilliant week and don't forget to keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.